The views and opinions expressed by the following program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station or Webster Rock Hill Ministries, its management or other hosts or underwriting sponsors. Programs presented by KWRHLP are for educational and entertainment purposes only. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker. Ellie Wharton is on assignment. Today and tomorrow is the 80th anniversary of another, I would call, infamous time in our international history, the pogrom of November 9th and 10th of 1938. And just to kind of give uh, some information for listeners and make sure we all understand what we're talking about, a, a, a pogrom, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, a deliberate persecution of an ethnic or religious group either approved or condoned by local authorities. It was really applied usually to anti-Jewish violence in the Russian Empire in the late 19th, early 20th century, was extended to include attacks, any attacks against Jews, physical destruction of Jewish property, as well as looting of Jewish homes and businesses throughout history. So the characteristics of a pogrom vary widely depending upon the specific incidents at times leading to or culminating in massacres. And all outbreaks of anti-Semitic violence have been retrospectively known as pogroms. And the first one in Nazi Germany was what we know as Kristallnacht, often called Programmnacht, or the program of November 9th and 10th of 1938, in which 91 Jews were killed, 30,000 were arrested and incarcerated in Nazi concentration camps, hundreds of synagogues burned, and over 7,000 Jewish businesses destroyed or damaged. This anniversary of this horrific uh, couple days precipitated a contact to the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center here in St. Louis. And uh, Daniel uh, Rich, who's the curator and director of education, was uh, very gracious to be on the program today. Daniel, how are you doing today? Hello. uh, Thank you for having me. I'm fine. And you? I'm doing great. I appreciate you being here today and discussing uh, a a little history um, for—we like to talk about history on our show. We like to fill in the gaps that people don't know. You filled one in for me yesterday uh, about— pogrom of November 9th and 10th, and I appreciate that. I always like to be corrected and give information out that's accurate and not uh, misinforming people. Um, and so for the folks that, so you don't know, I was I was asking him about Kristallnacht, if that's the exact uh, German pronunciation, which I know it's not, but he said it's, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and say it, Daniel. You know, calling it Kristallnacht is perfectly acceptable. In fact, it's what most of the survivors who uh, experienced it called it because it's what the German press called it. It's what the perpetrators called it. And it's really a name that has stuck, uh, the night of broken glass. By calling it that, it really alludes to the destruction of property. By calling it the pogrom of November 9th and 10th, 1938, it uh, takes away, it doesn't call it what the perpetrators called it. It called it the destruction of property, but also the murder of 91 people, and uh, really a turning point in the history of the Holocaust. It really was kind of a uh, springboard for uh, additional heinous things that were going to happen. 
You know, it was. Uh, Hitler had been appointed, and the Nazis had come to power in 1933. Between 1933 and 1938, the Jews experience oppression under law. It's laws, laws that uh, take away their rights, their uh, citizenship, with the Nuremberg Laws in 1935. Hundreds of laws which forbid them to participate in certain uh, professions. They can no longer serve as lawyers. They can no longer they can be doctors, but not serve non-Jewish patients. From major things like losing your job to things like uh, restricting your ability to go to public entertainment, uh, not being allowed to some real, from major things. Uh, again, like losing your job to things like not being able to buy flowers, not being able to fly the German flag, making the point that the Jews were no longer citizens of Germany. Uh, so some were major, some were petty. But in 1938, with the pogroms of November 9th and 10th, that changes. What's oppression by law becomes oppression by violence. And anyone that thought, this will change, we can get through this, this administration is going to pass, we'll, we'll get by, realizes at that point that this really is going to be a matter of life and death. As you said in your introduction, the destruction of property, the murder of almost 100 people, it's a lot of people it seems a lesser number when you think that within three years we're going to be numbering the murdered by the millions. But it was shocking and horrific at the time. And to see one's place of worship in flames and to have men and boys arrested, taken into what they called protective custody, it really was a, a major turning point. You know, it reminds me of two, two quotations— the first one uh, is, first they came for the socialists, I didn't speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. That statement, and then the statement that all it takes for evil to flourish is for good men to do nothing. So both very important statements and very important lessons of the Holocaust. The first statement, first they came, really makes the point that we can't be bystanders. We can't stand by while terrible things happen to others because ultimately they could happen to us and we have that responsibility. And uh, again, Really bad things, including the Holocaust, could not have happened without the complicity and collaboration of some and the fact that others just did nothing and allowed it to happen. Yeah, really a dark, one of the darkest times in the 20th century that I can, I, I can read about in history that uh, is just... Um, we, we still need to continue to talk about it, uh, which is one of the reasons I know that there, and I've been to the Holocaust Museum in St. Louis and also the one in Washington, D.C., uh, 
And uh, it's important to understand our history and so we don't repeat it. And I, I think your, your words about don't be a bystander are important um, because we may see things happening to other people and it's not us, but it could happen to us. And I know that's one of the purposes of your role as curator and director of education there is to, is to make sure that uh, we talk about things and that we're learning uh, from our past so we don't repeat them. Definitely, that's uh, learning about the past and its relevant its relevance to uh, our present day situation is one of the most important things. Our goal is to teach the history, but to make those that history relevant as lessons for today. Uh, we can change history, but we can learn from history and make the world a better place. Yeah, I love your mission statement. Through the lessons of the Holocaust, we inspire all people to confront hatred, promote human dignity, and to prevent genocide. And you have over 30,000 guests every year who come to uh, the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center to explore all of these kinds of uh, issues. To uh, you, you have a lot of—and I'm going to get into this later on in, in our uh, discussion— but you provide a, a wealth of information. And, and tell us a little bit about um, that facility, uh, n- not the building itself, but you have uh, installations in there. You know, I've um, in the introductory room, Jewish Life Before the Holocaust. Can you kind of talk a little bit about each one of those, that as somebody goes to um, the museum and learning center, what are they going to experience as they kind of move through um, that facility? Sure. The Holocaust Museum and Learning Center is a department of Jewish Federation of St. Louis, and the museum opened 23 years ago. It really was the mission of local survivors who felt that there needed to be a place here where they had rebuilt their lives, where visitors, especially young people, could come and learn both the history and the lessons of the Holocaust. Not a garden, not a memorial, although we do have a garden, (laughs) but really a place where people could come and learn these lessons, a destination. So the museum opened 23 years ago. The first area that you see of the museum are photographs of survivors or members of survivors' families who rebuilt their lives here in the St. Louis area. Making that local connection was very, very important to the founders of the museum. And that introductory area serves a lot of purposes. You think of survivors, victims, or, uh, and, and survivors. Now these people are in advanced years. We think of them in a certain way. These photographs show them before the war years. Uh, before these people were victims, before they were survivors, they were human beings. They had pets. They went to the beach. They went to school. They got married. So these photographs just show people going about their daily lives on vacation, again, in classrooms, uh, having dinner. And it makes the point that these are just people. And uh, it also makes the point that these people who did survive rebuilt their lives here in our community. So this isn't something that happened 
70 and 80 years ago in another country, it has had its impact in our community. As you go through the museum, uh, we show a lot about life before, the richness of Jewish life in Germany, in other parts of Europe, and then what happens as the Nazis come to power, as they consolidate their power, and as through law and then through violence, Jewish lives change, and we see an education in hatred, uh, ideas about Nazi racial law and ideology, Nazi use of propaganda, and how after Hitler comes to power in 1933, life changes and Germany changes, and ultimately after the outbreak of the war in 39, the occupation of other countries, we see how evil unchecked does lead to the Holocaust and the murder of six million Jews and millions of other victims. So the museum traces all of that and also uh, examines what happens at the conclusion of the war, at liberation, bringing the perpetrators to justice, and concludes making coming full circle with how survivors came to St. Louis and rebuilt their lives in in our community. You know, that... that sort of a quick overview. Yeah, and that's... Um... You know, it's very interesting that we take it that it's personalized, because I think people can identify with that a lot more, like like what you were saying, than it's that it happened seventy years ago, some other place, um, and it, we don't have we have no personal connection to it. There may be people. Well, I know there's people who are related, obviously, to some of the people in the in the photographs, but you may know someone whose relatives were impacted by uh, the war in that way, by um, the Holocaust. And, you or know, you may be, uh, you may have a family member who's a veteran of, uh, who fought in World War II, who fought in the European theater, who may have been involved in uh, liberation. So if you think of the Holocaust as happening in the context of the Second World War, it really does become a global phenomenon. That's an interesting perspective. I had not thought about that, and and we need to combine those a little bit more. At least in my, in my mind, uh, we do. You you combine not only photographs and exhibits and maps, interactive kinds of things, but also some kind of artifacts. Correct. We do. We do. We uh, and in most cases, the artifacts did come from the local survivors and their families. So we're very fortunate to have that. And we're very fortunate that we still have survivors in our community who share their testimony with the visitors. Uh, just this morning, one of the survivors was uh, recounting how her life was saved. She escaped to the French countryside and was hidden and uh, managed to survive the war in that way. So she was speaking to... Uh, school groups and a group of an adults here just this morning. Now you have a featured exhibit there right now, if I'm not mistaken. Change begins with me. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that and what the what the goal of that exhibit is? Change begins with me uh, opened as part of the permanent exhibit 
I want to say maybe five or six years ago, but it is uh, ongoing on view. And the point of adding that, change begins with me, was to make the point, you know, everyone at the end of the war said, never again. And everyone certainly hoped that would be the case. But I think we all know that since 1945, there have been wars, there have been uh, acts of genocide, uh, whole groups of people's lives have been at risk, we've seen ethnic conflict, we've seen horrible things. Unfortunately, the lessons of the Holocaust, which we still hope to teach, certainly have not been learned. And I hate to say, even in the past couple of weeks, we've seen horrific incidents that show that racism, that anti-Semitism, that hatred is still very much with us. So five years ago, and I, I think I'm right on that date, we added Change Begins With Me. It's an interactive screen that includes several components. One, uh, if you press on certain points on this interactive screen, you can see events going on in the world today, in our country, in the United States, in other parts of the world, where hate crimes, where ethnic conflict, where genocide has continued to happen since 1945. In another area, we have a spiral of hate that really makes the point about how things progress from scapegoating to prejudice to violence, ultimately to genocide, and gives contemporary examples of how, again, if these things are left unchecked, one can lead to the other and horrible things continue to happen in the world. We do want to give people some sense of hope, which is why we call it Change Begins With Me. In fact, individuals can be agents of change. So another component gives people suggestions of what they might do. Even if it's just getting more information, discussing things, sending letters, the importance of being aware of what's going on in the world around you, and also a certain amount of acknowledgement and celebration of individuals who have made a difference, who have stood up against oppression and hatred and made a difference in our day. The idea being, again, that we can all become aware that when it's appropriate, we can take action and we can all make the world a better place. Now, is that exhibit, um, do you have a recommended age, minimum age on that particular exhibit? You know, probably 10 and above. And I imagine you get a lot of school groups to come through, or I'm presuming you would get a lot of school groups to come through the the Museum and Learning Center. We get uh, a lot of middle school, high school, but also adult, college age, and above. So we really want to be a resource for the entire community. Now, you also have a a memory project that, um, are are these uh, audio uh, Memories, are they written memories, or are they both that are given so by the people? The memory project began as a writing, a writing project. It, it gave survivors an opportunity to take their memories and put them down on paper. Many did not necessarily feel confident. Uh, English may not have been their first school, was not their first language. 
And uh, that workshop enabled them to, again, take their experiences and write them down. But that's part of a larger project, which is our oral history project. Okay. We have the testimonies of approximately 200-plus survivors, veterans, witnesses to the Holocaust, who we have on tape uh, sharing their testimony, sharing their experiences, their memories of the camps, of surviving as hidden children, of escaping somehow, uh, also, again, of veterans, the experience of liberators coming upon camps and what that experience was like. And again, other people in our community that witnessed events related to the Holocaust. So we've digitized those, and we're in the process of putting those up on our web on our website. So those would be accessible to many, many more people, and that's going to be happening in the next couple of months. And uh, Dan Munch, or uh, tell us a little bit about the, the the website address and also where the where the uh... Holocaust Museum and Learning Center is located. I did not did not mention that at all. Sure. Excuse me. The Holocaust Museum and Learning Center is located at 12 Millstone Campus Drive. That's in Crevecore, Missouri. Our zip code is 63146. And I should say we're open six days a week, Sunday through Friday. We are closed on Saturdays. We're happy to guide scheduled tours, groups of 10 or more. They can be school groups or reading groups or synagogue or church groups. And we can provide skilled guides, docents, again, to guide uh, tours through the museum and provide speakers, either survivors or we now are using a lot of children of survivors who tell their parents' stories Uh, their family story of survival, which can be very, very moving. Our website is www.hmlc.org. And you'll find a lot of information about our museum, how to schedule tours, read some uh, writings by survivors, see upcoming events, and uh, learn more about the museum. Yeah, I, I wanted to get that information out because uh, we're going to unpack a couple other things here. Um, you have a, and and I'm just really uh, enthused on how you're going about keeping this topic alive and keeping it at the forefront and the lessons that can be learned uh, through the Holocaust. You have a student art and writing contest. You have a, a monthly film series and some civic education that involves uh uh, law enforcement and society, and and uh, after the break, uh, I want to kind of unpack those a little bit because you have an upcoming event also uh, on November the 19th at 1 o'clock, The Many Faces of Hate. Linda Wolf, who's a professor of psychology and international rights at Webster University here in Webster Groves, will be, will be speaking. So want to uh, talk a little bit about those, um, get a little bit more information. We've been talking to uh, Daniel Rich from the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center. He's the curator and director of education there. And we've been... Uh, I've been prompted on this particular uh, journey uh, today because of the 
pogrom of November 9th and 10th, 1938, the 80th anniversary. And we want to make sure that we keep our history alive, folks. We want to make sure that we understand things correctly and accurately so that we do not repeat them and so that we can uh, know um, how we can support uh, individuals who are suffering around the world in a variety of situations in our own country, in our own state, in our own city, and maybe uh, in our own community. So we, we want to be able to uh, have these kinds of issues discussed openly, and it's important to, um, to talk about things. I know a lot of times people don't like to talk about things, and uh, Daniel, do, do you find that that's uh, a prompter for many reasons why these things continue? People don't want to talk about them, the hard issues? Well, I think there is some truth to that. Uh, you know, there is a tendency to want, want to avoid unpleasant issues, but we see things going on in the world around us, and it's very important that we uh, be aware and take action. Well, we want to um, continue to keep these things, like I said, at the forefront of what's going on, and you can take action by being aware and being informed. And I love the don't be a bystander. We talked about that when I was in education uh, as a part of a bullying campaign because bystanders are, uh, they contribute because they don't speak up. They don't uh, interrupt. They don't stop things going on. We'll be back. Uh, this is Arnold Stricker of Intune. You're listening to KWRHLP 92.9 FM, your community radio station in Webster Groves, Missouri. Stay tuned. Welcome back to In Tune. This is Arnold Stricker. We've been talking to Daniel Rich, who's the curator and director of education for the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center here in St. Louis. And I wanted to read something, a statement about the Holocaust here. Uh, we were talking, uh, Christopher Dacey, the uh, studio manager, and I were talking off air about the importance of, you know, really coming around to these things regularly and talking about them and keeping that at the forefront. And I want to read this, this paragraph. It says, when speaking about the Holocaust, what time period are we referring to? The Holocaust refers to the murder of six million European Jews carried out in a systematically planned and executed manner from 1941 to 1945. A study of the Holocaust should also include a study of the period from 1933 when Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany until the summer of 1941, when the Eizatgruppen massacres began. I hope my German pronunciation from my senior year in high school helped that. The period between summer of 1941 and 1945 is generally defined as the dates of the actual implementation of the final solution. I heard, I, when I read that, the final solution, I was like, you got to be kidding me. The final solution for... Uh, Adolf Hitler in, in Germany at the time was the extermination of the entire Jewish population. Correct. And we were talking off, and this kind of relates to all this, uh, Daniel, so please bear with me. We were talking about how you have a film series, and November 25th is a, a movie called Pleasantville, but on December 30th is Schindler's List. And many people, you know, I, I made the comment that sometimes, you know, if, if you get detached from history, if you get detached from huge events that are marks in our, uh, the culture of our world, like the Holocaust is, that it can sometimes become, my words now, glamorized or, or shaded or 
put up that it's not as important as it really is. And that's why movies like Schindler's List uh, need to be viewed every once in a while. My wife and I watched Mississippi Burning uh, mm. several months ago after not having viewed it for quite a while. And it's like, holy smokes. You know, it really agitated us. It really bothered us. And these kinds of things, when they're done tastefully, accurately, and uh, informatively, to educate and to remind are extremely important. And, and that's what I, I really appreciate about what you're doing at the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center by having uh, memories kept alive, either uh, orally or in, in written ways, H having uh, the entire, uh, when you go through the museum scene from a beginning to an end, and it's just not the Holocaust, it's what started all of that and where, where it ended up. You know, I, I really appreciate that. Give it a little comment on that. Uh, well, let me go back to what you said about our film series. I'm really pleased with our uh, monthly film program. We screen a film on the last Sunday of every month at 1 p.m. The screening is free and open to the public, uh, thanks to the support of Mendel and Sandy Rosenberg, who in, uh, created the series. I really like it because, as you say, it's not pleasant for some people to engage with the Holocaust. But they may come here to see a movie, and maybe after the movie they'll go in and see our exhibits. So we have a range of different movies, feature films, documentaries. Certainly, I would think a lot of people uh, are familiar with Schindler's List, uh, Spielberg's film, which really was a key point in Holocaust studies. Because by winning the Oscar, Oscar by being very, very popular, more and more people wanted to learn about the Holocaust. And they wanted to hear about it from the survivors. And you may know that Spielberg also created the Shoah Foundation, which created and then gathered testimony from hundreds of thousands of survivors, professionally done, very respectfully done. And it really was very, very important. Now, you mentioned that that's our film, The Last Sunday in December. In November, we're screening Pleasantville, and if you know that film, you may be wondering, Pleasantville, what does that have to do with the Holocaust? It actually doesn't, but if you know that film, it's a much more popular film, it does address ideas of identity and issues of conformity, and those are issues that do relate to the Holocaust, do relate to the mindset that can lead to prejudice, anti-Semitism, hatred. So again, we screen a lot of different films to attract a lot of different audiences. Uh, we have a lot of different programming to attract a lot of people. There are a lot of messages from the Holocaust. One of the things I didn't mention, but that's really important, is the focus on people that did make a difference people that perhaps at great risk or definitely at risk of their own lives, risking the lives of their families, did do the right thing. People like Oscar Schindler, who rescued a thousand Jews, uh, uh, Wallenberg and Sugihara, and people whose names we don't know as well that 
because of religious faith, because of personal ethics, because of morals, because of just feeling they needed to do the right thing, helped and rescued others. And uh, we really want to honor those people because, unfortunately, there weren't huge numbers of them. But the ones who did are re- tell a really important story, those who made a difference by not being bystanders, by stepping up and doing the right thing. Now, part of your um, your programs that you have out there, you also do a an art and writing contest for students. Right. We do that every spring, and it gives our student visitors, middle school and high school, or others who learn about us on our website, if they learn about the Holocaust by visiting the museum or studying the Holocaust in their classroom, they can re- respond creatively uh, through a drawing, a painting, through an essay, through a short work of fiction, through an article, a poem, they can uh, express their own responses. And some of them are really incredible, moving, very creative, and uh, really show that young people are getting the idea, getting the point, thinking about it, and again, as I said, responding creatively to what they've learned. And, and as part of that, uh, you know, I, and I've, I'm ex- familiar with the trunk program that you have also that uh, is, is used at middle school and high school. Talk a little bit about uh, how the trunk program uh, helps inform students about the Holocaust. Right. We would love for all of the schools in the bi-state area and beyond to come visit the museum. Not everyone can do that. We actually will help support uh, bus fare to bring some groups. But we also send teaching trunks out to schools And those can be used to better prepare the students for their visit to the museum. Or if, because of great distance or scheduling, they can't come, those materials, literature sets, DVDs, posters, curriculum guides, enable the teacher to better teach about the Holocaust in their own classroom. So we're happy to uh, send those out free of charge to uh, interesting educators, educators that really want to uh, have that as a resource. And, uh, you know, I gave our address. I did not give a phone number. So if you'll let me do that. Absolutely. (laughs) To learn about scheduling tours, about borrowing uh, our teacher trunks, to learn about more about our programs, please call 314-442-3711. And we'd be happy to give you lots of information. Yeah, and we'll repeat those uh, at the end of our interview here. You know, I, I find this this next portion extremely valuable, where you've actually um, brought law enforcement in, to talk about lessons of um, societal kinds of lessons about how they can uh, do their job in in a society uh, where there's bigotry and fanatical leadership and anti-Semitism and all these kinds of things that they deal with. 
discuss that a little bit. I'm kind of, right. I'm kind of curious of how, how you approach that and what the response has been from law enforcement. So we've been doing LEAS, Law Enforcement and Society, as a program for over 10 years now. We do it in collaboration with the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL, and it originated at the Washington, D.C. Museum. I think you said you visited yes. the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. And the chief of police visited the museum there in the company of the local ADL director and realized that law enforcement had a lot to learn from touring that museum and talking about law enforcement at that time. So we became a pilot program, again, more than 10 years ago, and different regional museums started to also do the program. Law enforcement comes from throughout the bi-state area, and we talk about the Holocaust. We talk about law enforcement at that time, in the 1930s and during the Nazi period, and how law enforcement, like any other area of society, became involved in Nazi ideology and carrying out the Holocaust. And we sort of trace how that happened. We tour our museum to learn more about the Holocaust. And then uh, ADL sort of takes the floor and they have a really honest discussion about what informs their role as law enforcement today. What can they learn from the past to uh, better serve uh, the people in their profession now. I think over the years that we've done it, we've come to have a much greater regard for law enforcement, a greater respect for law enforcement, and an understanding for their important role in keeping us safe. Uh, and we've done this, project, uh, this program, as I say, for over 10 years, just to give them a little insight to the past that will, we hope, and they say, has helped them uh, have a self-awareness to better do their jobs today. So it's, it's one of our most important programs. Is that program, uh, Daniel, something that like new law enforcement officers have to participate in? Is it a voluntary thing by um, by the um, county and law, the city so and Different law enforcement groups do come to us and sign up for it. Mm -hmm. It's become a part of the training for many of the local groups. That's good. We often see the cadets right before their graduation, wow. and uh, it's very inspiring for us. I, I'd say we've learned a lot from this program. What, what, what are things you guys have learned from that? You know, again, we see the importance of law enforcement in, in literally protecting us, in protecting our constitutional rights, and how challenging that can be for them. Have they the challenges that they have to do their jobs on the street. Yeah, I was going to say, have they? what are some of the uh, things that they've said after the training uh, that it, you might remember some of those things that have stood out to you? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes, especially the veterans will, you know, kind of wonder, why are we here? What, what, what? 
about this incident that happened 80 years ago in another country, how is that going to, you know, impact us? But I would say they leave saying they've learned, you know, again, how to be introspective, how with the objectivity of looking at the past, they actually do gain a lot of insights and most leave with a great appreciation of the program. You know, and I, I think that that's something that we would encourage uh, all of the listeners out there to get engaged with the uh, Holocaust Museum and Learning Center, because those are, you know, what you've just described are things that many times cannot be learned unless you are, and I don't want to say this in a bad way, shocked into, seriously, this, and you, you get a full, um, a, f- a full-blown effect going through this. I was actually at a at a movie one time. This is this is how after the movie is when I walked around the museum, and that was my le- the last time I've been out there. But you get a full effect uh, um, with understanding things and putting things in perspective and thinking about your own life and where you are now and what actually happened and what can happen unless people are aware and that they are introspective, like you mentioned, Daniel, and that. Um, you you put some insight into things and and put things in into a, a perspective of history and where we are with our history now and, and knowing it. You know, we want people to be aware. We certainly want want people to be aware of what's going on in the world around them. We see how the greatest country with the most civilized reputation fell into this horrible situation that led to the deaths of millions of people. We don't want to scare people. We don't want to kind of be oppressive about it. But we do want to teach those lessons. And in fact, many people leaving feel, leave feeling very hopeful because of the inspiring stories of the survivors who were able to rebuild their lives after this horrible experience. Or the stories of the rescuers who, again, risked their lives to do the right thing. So there are hopeful things here as well. So we want people to leave with that sense of feeling they themselves can be agents of change, they can be aware, and uh, everyone can can do something to make the world a better place. You know, that's, that is extremely well said. Uh, we've been talking to Daniel Rich, who's the Curator and Director of Education at the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center of St. Louis. You can find them at www.hmlc.org, hmlc.org. You can contact them on the phone by 314-442-3711, or visit uh, at uh, 12 Millstone Campus Drive. That's in St. Louis, 63146. They're open six days a week, Sunday through Friday. And don't forget some of these activities coming up on November the 25th. There's uh, the movie Pleasantville. Also, we didn't talk about the uh, Many Faces of Hate, Linda Wolf. Dr. Dr. Right. Wolf's going to be— that should be a wonderful program. Please call 442-3711 for more information. It's actually being uh, planned and presented by a group of survivors and descendants. They get together once a month just to share their experiences, talk, socialize— and learn. And this month, it will be what I think will be a very inspiring program by Dr. Linda Wolf. Wow, that's great. Daniel, I really appreciate you being on today. I appreciate you uh, you reaching out to our community 
and to the listeners about uh, the impact that uh, the Holocaust Museum and Learning Center has been having and will continue to have. And I, I appreciate the uh, personal uh, tutoring that you gave me. Uh, well, thank you. Yesterday thank you and for today. speaking with me. It's, it's been, and uh, it's, let me invite everyone to come visit us. Thank you again, Dan. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you.